six-part series, seven-part series of the armor of God, and this is what we've been talking about, that spiritual uh, warfare and putting on the, uh, uh, those pieces of armor, and they're all defensive except for the one today. The only offensive weapon that we have uh, for spiritual warfare uh, is the Word of God, and the Scripture is powerful, and uh, one of the things I was taught uh, very young is try to memorize as much uh, scripture as you can because that's what God is going to use when that scripture gets down into their gets down into their heart and the Holy Spirit begins to uh, convict them of their need for a savior. So here it is, Ephesians six seventeen. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is uh, the Word of God. And so uh, today, of course, is an opportunity to examine our lives. It's always uh, a good time to do that. I always say to my wife, we'll see where we're at at the end of the year. So we evaluate our lives and uh, see w- what we're going to do for uh, 20 and 20, or 2020, and um, move on from there. And mo- most importantly, uh, our spiritual lives. Am I more mature spiritually uh, this year than I was last year? Or am I sliding a, a little bit backwards? I always used to try to... Um, read through the Bible as many times as I could. And you start at the beginning of the year, and you know how it goes. You go Genesis, Exodus, again, to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You start losing uh, track a little bit. Uh, But one thing I've done as I got older in my faith is is concentrate on little uh, pieces of Scripture and try to memorize those uh, those small portions that can carry us through uh, difficult days. And it's the the Word of God. A lot of folks... um, died to get the scripture that we have in our hands today. And you remember a couple years ago, the, I did my dissertation on, in my master's on the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in like about 1950 by a little shepherd boy uh, over in, in the Middle East. He was looking for one of his sheep and he threw a rock down in this cave and he heard it hit something. And there were these giant urns uh, where, they were, where they had stored the Dead Sea Scrolls. And every Every book of the Bible, the Old Testament, I think Esther was the only one that was missing. Word for word is the Old Testament that we have today. So there's never really an argument about that. So they, they, they attack the New, the New Testament. Uh, but we know it's the Word of God. It claims to be the Word of God, and it's very powerful. Open your Bibles to John 18, go to verse 4. So the sword of the Spirit, and that's how we co- combat the enemy. Remember when Jesus, as soon as he was baptized, where did he go? He went out into the desert. And he was there for, uh, for 40 days, and then uh, the devil shows up. And that's typically what he does in believers' lives. When you are at your weakest point is when he's going to show up, and he's going to try to get you to doubt God and blame it on God and uh, do things that are counter to God's plan uh, in your life. But every time Satan brought a, uh, uh, about a temptation, uh, Jesus Re- rebuked him with the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. And as you study through the Gospels, Jesus was continually quoting uh, uh, scriptures. And he said, you've heard it was said, and, and now I'm telling you this, and, and, and so on. And so when you come to Christ, uh, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have those weapons that are available. Uh, you're supposed to put them on when you get up in the morning, and you're supposed to get that word of God into your hand. And so when you surrendered your life to Christ, those were some of the things that were given to you. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. Uh, the new is here. 
And so on Friday, I had to go out to um, Bridgeton, the, the black hole we call it, Bridgeton, Cumberland, Cumberland County. When your GPS is on, it burns up your battery in about 10, in about 10 minutes. So I had a blessing because I went to a house and um, there's a pastor coming on. He's 86 years old. He was a pastor for 50 years, 50 years in the same church. I said, you know what the average stay for a pastor is? It's about 5.5 years for a senior pastor, and it's about 27 months for a youth pastor. Uh, those were the numbers that were out years ago. They may even be less now. And some churches uh, are required to shuffle you around, like the Methodist Church will say, after 10 years, uh, we're going to move you on, and so on and so forth for... for um, for whatever reason. So we got, just got talking about ministry and um, his wife was a trip, you know, being a pastor's wife for 50 years. They had, we had a lot of stories uh, to exchange. But he said, this is, this, is, this is how small of a world it is. And we started this other program called the Faith Farm out in Bridgeton. I said, man, that rings a bell. What was that, what was that for? He said it was for, uh, you know, for young folks to give them a chance. Maybe uh, they ran away or they were in a foster home or it was a place that they could go. So I had a kid in junior high. And you know when you're working with children, uh, all the, the years I was working as a youth pastor, kids fool around. That's just the way it is. But when they're disrespectful, that's a problem. Those are the ones that typically get themselves uh, into trouble. And this guy was a... Um, he was disrespectful, and he made off, you know, joke comments and things like that. Uh, so years go by, I get a call at the church, and they said, is Pastor Jim still work there? <laughs> yes. I said, where are you? I'm now in Cape May County Prison. <laughs> okay. So we go down. I go to see him in prison, and, you know, he said, I screwed up. I'm going to state prison. I'm scared. Um, he's a skinny little white guy. So he, he did. He ended up going to state prison for um, uh, a couple years, and then he, and he got out. And um, he got in trouble again, and he's going to, looking to go back to um, state prison. And I ran to his mom, and I said, listen, let me call the judge. If I call the judge and say, we're going to put him in this place called Faith Farm out in Bridgeton. It's the only one I could find that was close. Tell the judge you have a drug problem, you have a drinking problem, whatever your problem is, and you're willing to go through this program um, with it, so you don't have to go back to prison. The judge went for it. The judge said, okay. We sent him up to this faith farm. So he goes to this faith farm. This pastor led him to the Lord. This pastor that I ran into on Friday. And I told him that story, so he was, you know, he was excited about it. So I run into the boy at Wawa on, uh, I think it was Christmas Eve. And talk about a difference. You know, this is, what I, this is the point I'm making, is the transformation in a person's life when they come to Christ. His whole demeanor had changed, the way he talked, the things that he was talking about. Um, so I just thought that was a, a great story and a great example because what's the point? Jesus Christ changes lives. There's thousands of religions in the world today. Jesus Christ changes lives. You think different, you talk different. Everybody's a work in progress, but it's really great to see uh, something like that you know, happen with uh, this, this young man. So, anyway, Jesus had been with the disciples three and a half years, and uh, they weren't quite getting it. you got to remember, the mindset of the Jews was that when Messiah comes, he's going to overthrow the Roman government, he's going to set up his kingdom now, and it's going to be the glory days like it was when Solomon uh, was king, and that's when Israel was at their peak, when Solomon uh, was, was king, mostly because of his dad, uh, King David, and the things that God had done uh, through him. So they're thinking a different mindset. 
So Jesus comes preaching love and forgiveness and compassion and people aren't really digging that because they want power, they want some control. And here's in Luke 22, 24. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be uh, considered to be the, the greatest and, and bragging on themselves for, for whatever reason, I, I don't know, as they're hanging out with Jesus all, all this time and they had these selfish ambitions about I'm going to sit on the right, I'm going to sit on the left, uh, we gave up all this, what, what's in it for us? And they weren't understanding that Jesus was born for one reason only and that was to go uh, to the cross. So then what does he do after they have this conversation? The worst job of, that was for slaves, wash your feet. We're going to sit down, I'm going to wash your feet. And I know some churches even do that. They have foot washing uh, uh, you know, programs because it's a sign of humility. And so Jesus said, there's your first note there, the greatest must humble themselves and be a servant. And so the, the, the stronger that you get in your faith, the more you grow in your faith, the more humble um, uh, you should be. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. I remember my, um, uh, my in-laws were going to Bible college at, um, at nighttime, and then my mother-in-law was having a debate, of course, with this, this professor, and uh, they were disagreeing on a particular verse. I don't even know what the verse was. And he said, this was disturbing, he said, when you have as much training as I have, then come back and see me. So talk about a lack of humility, and that's, that's pride, and that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus, Jesus is saying when you grow in your faith, you should be more humble, you should be more, uh, more of a servant. So here it is. Let's pick it up in John 18 in verse, in verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Now they're in the garden, and they're all showing up with uh, all the soldiers, and, and Judas is there. Jesus said, I am he. They drew back and all fell on the ground. I think at that point, I think I got to leave. If you come in with 50 soldiers and you're going after one you know, carpenter and he says a word, everybody falls on the ground, that's got to be a red flag. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then... Simon Peter had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And so what is Peter doing? Peter's acting in the flesh. Again, this mindset, Jesus, we saw you raise the dead and do all these miracles, and now's the time to set up. Now's the time to take over. And Peter pulls out this sword, and acting in the flesh, cuts this guy's uh, ear, uh, ear off. Jesus, of course, puts his ear back on. Again, if I'm a soldier, I'm seeing what's going on here. I don't think I want to be arresting this guy. So Jesus says, shall I not drink the cup? What is the cup? It's the cup of, the cup of suffering. And um, so the battle is the battle, and it's beginning to uh, come to a peak here in the garden. So again, the only offensive weapon for the believer is that sword of the Spirit. And so Peter, instead of acting in the Spirit, Spirit was acting out in the flesh, and that's typically, um, that's typically what the world does, and sometimes when we're not walking in the Spirit, uh, those things happen to us till we start doing things the way the world does things. And even in some churches today, uh, you'll put, they'll put people on boards because they're good, smart businessmen, but they're talking about a spiritual position. So to put a man in a position, for, for instance, as, as a deacon because 
uh, uh, because he's successful in business and does well in business. You want somebody that's spiritual. You want somebody that's walking with the Lord. These are, these are spiritual positions. So whether you're deacon, a trustee, or on the mission committee, or, you're, or even a, a deaconess, these are all spiritual leadership uh, positions, even your, your, your praise team, because you're up front and you're leading, uh, you're leading the congregation. And so that's that offensive weapon. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I know uh, a friend of mine had that, that verse memorized. And I go to a lot of people's houses. I can tell you pretty much what their religion is by looking, before I even ask them, by looking at the pictures on the wall and some of the script, maybe sometimes the scripture verses. Uh, this one woman, the Spanish woman, she had our whole wall of Thomas Kincaid um, paintings that were there, and she had scripture verses on her, uh, on her refrigerator. So I knew she was in the Christian realm. She ended up being a um, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, probably one of the most spiritual women I've encountered in the f- four years of, of doing hospice. Um, but I always tell folks, take, maybe take a verse once a week, put it, put it in your car, maybe on your dashboard, focus on that verse. Um, instead of trying to read so much, read so much, read so much, just maybe get that one book and concentrate on that one book for, say, uh, you know, a period of time. So you take the book. Who wrote the book? Who is he writing it to? And does it apply to me today? And which portions can I apply to my life? Because the Bible is there um, for, you know, for examples for us, where these different individuals and the things, uh, the things that they do. And so in the flesh, without the spirit and the armor, uh, you're going to be defeated. And Jesus was in the garden. This is when he said, these guys are falling asleep. And he's pleading with uh, God the Father uh, about this, this crucifixion that is up and coming. I think we can't even comprehend what he is going to experience. And it's so hard, uh, I think, to fully understand the Trinity and what Jesus was going to experience when God the Father was going to turn his back on him when he took on all the sins of the world there uh, on that cross. So he goes on, verse 16. Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Here's his first and now. Now here's Peter. They're in the garden. He's got his sword, and he's taking swings at, at Roman soldiers. And now he's hiding uh, in this courtyard here, and he's lying to the servant girl because now he's afraid. Because now he is no longer in the spirit. Now he's in the, he's in the flesh. He's looking to, uh, uh, to save himself. And so what happens is when we use the sources of the flesh, people don't hear. I think they, they close us off. Uh, somebody, uh, some folks try to you know, convince individuals that you need, you need the Lord. Um, you know, that fire and brimstone preaching uh, that goes on. I had a couple, I had a family, I had to do a memorial service for them. And um, this was disturbing, but some Christians, actually pastor did it. At the memorial service, he says to the people, the family, this man who just passed away is now burning in hell. And I know that for a fact. I'm on this big dissertation. So they asked me, are you going to tell the people that he's burning in hell? I said, nobody could possibly know that. Only God knows the heart. And it was just uh, um, absolutely mind-boggling. But some Christians do that. They, they try to force themselves 
uh, with their Bible knowledge, or, you know, argue with individuals when it's the Holy Spirit. And that's your next fill-in. Only the Holy Spirit can change a person's heart. Your job is to do it with humility and respect. And I always tell people, when you run out of scripture verses that you, that you can't remember or you're losing your memory, go back to your testimony. Go back to what, um, you know, what the Lord has done uh, in your life. And the first time I went to, um, up to New York City to do street evangelism with, with Bible Open Air Mission, and I was going just to watch, because uh, Art Williams intrigued me. If you ever met him, he's, and he's still going 100 miles an hour. I think the guy's 90 years old. He still talks as fast and just has so much scripture memorized and has so many stories. So we're doing subway ministry. When you do subway ministry, you time the trains. There's so many minutes apart. So people are sitting here, and it's quiet like this, and you can hear the trains in the background. And then once you get the pattern, you have three minutes to stand on that platform and give the gospel message. And I watched it over and over again. I watched people come up, raise their hand for salvation, get prayed for, and get saved there on the, on the, on the uh, subway platform. And so it's going through the day, and then uh, Art says, okay, it's your turn. So my turn for what? Are your turn to get up there. And, and I said, no, I just came to watch. He said, no, just get up there. I said, what am I going to say? He said, give him your testimony. So scared to death, standing out there, and he gave my testimony, shaking, shaking like a leaf. And um, this is how the Holy Spirit works. I did it with humility and respect because I was so afraid. And people came up. I prayed with people. They got saved right there on the platform. I had to uh, see it with my own eyes. It's just amazing what the Holy Spirit can do. But we have to let the Holy Spirit uh, do the work. So that screaming and yelling and all that stuff that goes on, um, I think we, we have to be careful because it's that, that Holy Spirit that's going to do the work. You're just a vessel. Just allow God to, to speak through you there. That's part of that, that, spiritual, uh, that spiritual warfare. And so we always have to... Now, what did the, the apostles do? Jesus died, went in the tomb. Now they feel defeated. They're hiding. They go back to what they're comfortable with. They went back to fishing uh, for fish. And they forgot everything, I guess, Jesus had told them, that he was going to rise from the dead. I guess they weren't you know, fully realizing it. And if you look at some individuals that God did great things through, like Elijah, uh, he went running and hiding in the, in the wilderness. Um, even John the Baptist was discouraged when he ended up going to prison. But we we'll always have to remember that God is sovereign and he's in control and he always has a plan and he always has a purpose no matter where we are uh, in our lives. We just have to say, well, God knows I'm here and I got to remember his track record. He has carried me thus far and I'm just going to just going to keep going. Anyway, Jesus rises from the dead. They're out fishing. He finds them. John 21, verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. So Jesus makes a, performs another miracle for them. And so for the, apostle, the apostles, now there's going to be a radical change. And a radical change was that they had an encounter uh, with the risen Savior. And that's what happens with people when they have an encounter with their risen Savior. In Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, who was killing Christians, had an encounter, uh, you know, Damascus Road experience, 
uh, with the risen Savior, and then there was a radical change in his life. And that's what happens when individuals uh, encounter Christ. He's going to change their heart, and he's going to work on them, you know, one day at a time. Now, go to Acts, uh, go to Acts chapter 1. So Jesus encourages them. He restores Peter. Remember, remember Peter denied him three times. So Jesus reaffirmed, uh, God gave him an opportunity to reaffirm his faith three, faith three times. You know, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Peter's pointing the jumble. What about him? And Jesus is like, what about him? You worry about yourself. If I want him to stay alive till I come back, then so be it. Um, and so a rumor started that John was never going to die. And actually, John, according to church history, is the only uh, apostle that was not martyred for his faith. There's a record of all the other apostles uh, dying for their faith. John, when he was released from the island of Patmos, went back, and church history tells us he was pastoring, uh, pastoring one, once again. So, so all the things that Jesus had told them, you know, the word of God was now burning in their hearts. Uh, it's a double-edged sword. God is going to use it either for judgment or for salvation, and your job is to just bring the message. So God's going to use it at, at one point uh, or another. Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so you know the story. And act, uh, Jesus goes back up. He's there on top of the Mount of Olives. They're staring up into heaven. A voice comes from heaven. Why are you looking up here? The same Jesus who left from this spot will come back to this same spot. So that's in Zechariah. When Jesus comes back the second time, that's where he goes to. He goes to the top of the Mount of Olives there. Um, I, wrote a, I wrote a camel on the top of the Mount of Olives. I just thought it was unique. When we went to Israel on the way back from India, they said, what do you want to do? I want to see the tomb. I want to see the crucifixion site. But I want to, I want to ride a camel. So I don't know what, why I wanted to ride a camel, because I just wanted to ride a camel. So we actually, the camel rider was up on the top of the Mount of Olives. So I have a picture of myself right there where Jesus left uh, on, the top of the, on the top of the Mount of Olives. That was kind of the, uh, the highlight of the, of the trip. But anyway, Jesus goes up, and the Holy Spirit comes down. And they were in the upper room. And they were praising God and they were praying earnestly. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down uh, upon them and they're filled with the Spirit and things just go crazy. I mean, their, their hearts are burning. Uh, they're in the Spirit. They're preaching the Word. And thousands and thousands of people uh, are coming to Christ. Acts chapter 2, next page over. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, remember, they were hiding there in the upper room. Now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they go back to the temple where all the enemies are, and they just start preaching the word. This, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the message in Acts chapter 2 is the same message for 2019. Repent and be baptized. What, baptism is nothing more than your public testimony of your faith in Christ. It uh, doesn't change you in any way, but that um, repenting of your sins by the blood of Christ, and then he fills you with the Holy Spirit, and then you become like one of these uh, 
uh, one of these apostles. And I think people forget the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is the same Holy Spirit that's available today. You know, that Spirit-filled life that we're supposed to work. When we feed the Spirit, the Spirit's going to control our personality, it's going to control our decision-making. When we feed the flesh, the flesh is going to control our personality and control the um, uh, decision-making. And so how do you get in the Spirit? Praise, prayer, right? Worship. How do you walk in the flesh? You compromise it. You know, we complain, I'm hot, I'm tired, I'm thirsty, and all kinds of, all kinds of different excuses. But when Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit that day, 3,000, 3,000 people uh, came to Christ. You remember back at Mount Sinai when Moses went up and they were in revelry when he came down? How many people died? 3,000. And so the point is the law kills and the Spirit brings life. And so the number is the same. 3,000 at Mount Sinai die. 3,000 in Acts chapter 2 get saved. So go to Acts chapter 4. And this is how bold they are. You remember they were afraid and they were hiding and running away. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. And so this church is exploding, and the um, Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're, they're getting upset because uh, now no one's going to be going to the temple. They're going to be going and hanging out with uh, these individuals. And so uh, people are getting saved. Uh, people are getting healed. Evil spirits are getting cast out, cast, uh, cast out and the religious leaders uh, don't like it, and they're becoming, they're becoming jealous. He goes on in verse 19. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And so the apostles prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they spoke the word of God, the word of God boldly. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And all these miracles um, were happening. You know, people forget <clears throat> Jesus is on the cross. And the Bible says when he died, gave up his spirit, there was a, a black, black darkness came over the whole land. And then there was an earthquake and people started coming out of graves. And I would be curious of where, what stories these people had to tell. You know, uh, graves just opening up and then, of course, the centurion's uh, testimony was that surely this was the son of God because there was some wild stuff that was going on uh, when Jesus gave up his spirit there. So anyway, they, they do what they're told. They go preach the word. We're doing what the Lord's telling us, and what happens? Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. The high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. There's their problem. They arrested the apostles and put them in the, put them in the public jail. You know, and they could have sat there whining and complaining, Lord, we did what you told us to do. We're preaching the word, and now we got thrown in jail. But they weren't doing that. They were praising God, and they counted themselves um, blessed to be thrown in prison uh, for the Lord, and look what happens. But during the night, the angel, an angel of the Lord, opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people again. When the high priests and associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of all the elders of Israel, and sent uh, to the jail for... Uh, for the apostles. 
So I can imagine the, the message going, <laughs> coming back. We got some good news and we got some bad news. The good news is, look, the jail's still there. The, the, Lord, the doors are locked and the guards are standing at the doors, uh, but the apostles are back at the temple uh, teaching again. The word of God is powerful, living, and active. Check this out. November 4th, 1646, in Massachusetts Bay Colony, a law was passed making it a capital offense to deny the Bible as the word of God. Look how quickly things have, things have changed. And I, I think um, when they took the Bible out of school, it was in 1963, because older, older folks said we were the public school and we had scripture reading in the, in, you know, in the morning was, was, the, uh, was the first thing. So 1963, they take uh, the prayer out of school and then, of course, you know, um, then the whole Roe v. Wade uh, decision I, I had a uh, conversation with a doctor on Thursday, and remember China, I don't know if they still have the rule or not, one child rule, you can only have one child. This woman was a midwife, and she estimated that she killed between 20 and 30,000 babies. 20 and 30,000 babies. Um, just a horrible, horrible story to, to, have to, um, to have to listen to. And now because of her guilt, um, she she does something in China for saving babies, and the, the, one of the monks said, for every baby now that you save, you put a banner up, and that equals 100 souls that you had killed. So this woman now has all these banners. Um, but in India, in India, there's the caste system, and if you're born into the lower caste system, females are basically, uh, don't have a chance. They don't have a chance, and so they were throwing, um, the female infants in the river and on the side of the road, and I think through BOAM, some of you may have been part of this, uh, we sent money over to buy a piece of land and build an orphanage for, um, for these girls, and these, these young girls that were being discarded uh, by their families. When I went to um, India the first time, um, like that slumdog millionaire, it's 2 a.m., the, the street lighting isn't, isn't very good. And I said, what is all that on the, on the sidewalk? There were children sleeping on cardboard for, for blocks and blocks. And then when the sun comes up, they go out and they beg uh, at the red lights. They bang on your windows. They, um, they want money. They want food. You know, they want, um, they want anything. But the second time I went uh, to India, the river next to the hotel where we stayed, someone had just thrown their baby uh, in the river. And the missionary said they're still, they still do it in the caste system in uh, in India, and it's just, um, it's depraved, it, it's just, um, it's horrible stuff, but that's the, that's the world that we live in. So, moving on, so, Acts, uh, go to chapter 5, verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach this name, you see how much they hate Jesus, the jealousy, they won't even say his name, not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on the cross. These guys are bold. I mean, they just got thrown in prison. They just got beat. And because of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, they're like, bring it. We're going to do what God wants us to do. So no matter where you are, uh, you just want to be in God's will. So whether you are in the prison or you're in the temple courts or wherever it is, so this guy steps in, this Gamaliel, uh, in verse 30, and he says, look, if these guys are of God, you're going to fight yourself fighting against God. 
But if it's of man, it's going to, it's going to fall apart anyway. Uh, so they end up letting them go. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. So it's a radical burning desire uh, to share um, God's word. And when you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, you desire to get into these uh, conversations. Well, last time my uh, wife and I were on vacation, like 10 years ago, whenever that was. So we're in the pool, and I can hear people. I hear, I hear the name of Jesus, and then I start. Because <laughs> i got to get in this conversation. Got to kind of sneak in and start listening. And then I end up finding myself in depth with, this com- with these people uh, in this conversation. Because I want to answer questions. I want to know if they're, if they're believers, number one. And if not, I want to try to answer the questions uh, that they have, because that's always been my goal, is try to answer people's questions, um, you know, about, about God's Word. And it's just a matter of reading and reading and getting time in, in God's Word. I'm going to say by the time I was 21, I probably knew maybe three or four Scripture verses. And it's just a matter of just keep reading and reading and asking. I was a question asker. I was always calling the pastor up to explain something to me. And then I bought... Um, uh, commentaries, and I started reading through the commentaries, and then I start with books. When you go to, and when you go to seminary, they do, they say, here, read these seven books and write a paper. Like the amount of reading that you have to do, but it's all, it's all good stuff because it's just going to continue uh, to to accelerate that burning desire uh, just to reach souls. And there's the key verse again, Ephesians six twelve. A struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in uh, the heavenly realm. So we stay focused. The world's changing before our eyes, uh, so we have to be in the battle. The most important thing is, number one, to glorify the Lord in all that we do, and number two, to reach souls, because if the soul doesn't come to Christ, there's, there's nothing else to do from there. They've got to come to Christ, and then the progression goes from there. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord. Thank you again for the opportunity to look into your word. And Father, help each of us to to be in that battle, uh, a battle for souls. Give us those opportunities to share our faith and to bring you honor and glory in all that we do. And pray all these things in the matchless name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.